In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast, where a Georgia Bulldogs show. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, and we have a special guest today. We have John Richards with us. John is a Thomasville native, a lifelong dogs fan, and recently retired as a U.S. Navy SEAL. And we are going to have a, a great conversation today and one we've been looking forward to. So, John, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, Seth. I'm really excited to be here and talk some Georgia football. Yeah, man. So, first off, tell our listeners a little bit about your story and, and where you grew up and your affinity for the dogs and then and then how you transitioned into your military career. Yeah, uh, just like you alluded to, I, I grew up in Thomasville. Both my parents were from there. Uh, went to college about Valdosta State. I say that really loosely. I was enrolled in the school, but basically failed out and said I need to go be a Navy SEAL instead. And so at 22 years old, I joined the Navy and had a contract from the get-go to go straight into SEAL training. That started in 2011. I uh, went through the whole pipeline, Hell Week and all that good stuff. And in 2013, I checked into SEAL Team 4. And just like you said, man, I just grew up a lifelong Georgia Bulldog fan. And even to this day, uh, being in the military and having a wife and kids, my Saturdays come to a stop when Georgia's, when Georgia's playing, man. And uh, luckily, my wife's a dog fan, too. And even my four-year-old will ask me, is Georgia playing today? Because we like to look at the jerseys. He can pick out Jalen or Jordan Davis from last year. And um, yeah, I did, did my time at SEAL Team 4. I did multiple deployments all over the world to include a ton of countries in Europe, over to East Africa. And then um, I went through a lot of injuries. I was, I'm going to nerd out on you here for a second. I was what's called a master breacher. So inside of the, the team, my one of my roles would be using explosives to get us into anywhere we need to go. Unfortunately, uh, that much exposure to blast and overpressure kind of rattled my noggin a little bit. And um, I, I got what's called traumatic brain injury, uh, brain injuries. Let's make it plural because there's a ton. And eventually I, I racked up so many, they just saw that I couldn't continue on with this tempo and found it best for me to be medically retired and to go on back to my life. So that's what I'm doing. And I've started my own performance coaching business where I work with teams, individuals and leaders and come alongside them and take what I learned in the SEAL teams and going through SEAL training and helping them apply that to their life. So wherever they're trying to get, they're now getting this whole new paradigm to think and operate out of to allow them to hit that next level. And I know this is a Georgia Bulldog podcast, but one of my clients is Austin Bryant, former Clemson Tiger, also from Thomasville and a two-time national champion and in his fourth year in the league. So there, there is some bleed over here of what I do into the sport itself. And hopefully one day I'll get to work with a Bulldog and help them get to the next level they're trying to go to, but they seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, you know, obviously we want to thank you for your service because, you know, without folks like you that are, that are willing to step up and, and pay the price, it's, you know, we don't, we don't have this, this nation and we don't get to have, leisure Saturdays and be at tailgates and, and enjoy the sport that we love. So can't express our gratitude enough for that. And I thought one of the, the interesting things that you had brought up that we talked about offline, which I hadn't really thought about it this way, but I think it's a great connection 
is the parallels between the culture that Kirby has built in Athens with the dogs and certain principles that are prevalent throughout our elite military units. Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, and I, I think Coach Smart did a phenomenal job of that. Um, in fact, back in 2016, I was getting ready to deploy. So I was taking leave before deployment. I decided I want to go back to Georgia. And then I also thought, you know what? I kind of want to see in the facility. I want to see what's going on there. So I just started cold calling the field house <laughs> and got a hold of somebody. It was some lady, a sweet lady who answered and said, hey, my name is John Richards. I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm swinging through town. Could you put me in touch with one of the coaches? And she's like, uh, yeah, sure. So she just patched me over to the strength conditioning staff. And Aaron Feld was one of the coaches. Yeah. There. And he's a super cool dude, you know? Yeah. Mustache. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he's yeah, going. Mustache. Yeah. Yeah. He's going viral for big biceps and a big mustache. But that's uh, right. He, he happened to be the coach who came out to the front to greet me. And we talked for like two or three hours in his office on life and leadership and growth and performance and what Coach Smart's doing there. And one of the one of the things I thought was really cool, and this was, I believe when I visited, that was Kirby's first season or going into the first season. Yeah, so that's time, right. Right. Doing away with the older and putting his things, his fingerprints on stuff. And I'm sitting there with Aaron and we're talking and a player walks by. And he had a hat on. And I mean, we're in mid-conversation. Aaron is like, what are you doing? No effing field house inside or no hats inside. You know that. I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? He's like, Coach Smart doesn't allow hats in the in the, in the building. And I'm wearing a hat. I'm like, oh, okay. So I take mine. I was like, no, you're good. I'm like, no, dude, I'm going to take my hat off. I'm going to be respectful. But just curious, why? He said, honestly, man, no gimmick to it. It's not going to, you know, not wearing your hat isn't going to make you run a faster 40 time or anything. Coach Smart just still wants to lay out some steps of discipline and see who can adhere to it, even in the smallest of details. So even something as simple as taking your hat off in the building will be required of you. And that commonality, that parallel that you and I talked about is if we can't trust you with the little things, how can we trust you with the big things? So in my last line of work, if we can't trust you to show up to training with the gear you need, how can we trust you when all the chips are on the table and someone like someone's life is going to be at stake on a real world operation or mission? And that just seems to be a big thing you constantly see out play on play out on Saturdays. If you read content like you guys put out, you, you can just constantly pick up on all these little things they're doing that just makes them so much different than every other program in the country. And, and a big piece of that, man, is mental performance. Like, I, I am huge into it. I keep people through it. I had to live through it. And it's it's huge. And I think we can all remember as, as dog fans, pre-Kirby Smart. I'm not going to call it any names. You're just pre-Kirby Smart. Georgia would have a good season, right? And then there would always be a big game that they just didn't show up to for whatever reason, whether it was that stint with Florida where we couldn't beat them or Tennessee would knock our doors off. There was just always something that – that the team we love just didn't show up that Saturday. And now we have a loss on the record and we know that wasn't a great reflection of us, but that doesn't knock on wood seem to really happen under the Kirby smart regime, especially within the past two years, seeing how they've won 31 of 32 games right now. Um, they just seem to show up hungry every single game and not just hungry, but focused and disciplined. And even look at little things that Georgia does so much better than anyone. And I, I really became aware of it this weekend. I was watching the TCU game, rooting for TCU, and I'm watching their defense play. And I've, I've grown so accustomed to a Kirby-led Georgia defense where everyone looks hungry, everyone looks like a predator. It's gang tackling. You're not there for you. You're there for your brothers, right? But I'm watching these other teams play, 
And if they're on defense, it seems like one guy's trying to make a tackle and then everyone else is watching, just kind of hoping he brings the guy down. Whereas with Georgia, if you see one red helmet, you're going to see five red helmets. Everyone's getting in on it. And to me, that's that's brotherhood. What you're saying when you're watching your brother make a tackle that you're not getting in on is you're saying, I don't care enough. I don't care enough to help you. I, th- I, I, I just don't buy in to help you to help us as a team to drive the ball down the field. But with this team, man, like it's like watching Velociraptors hunt, especially on defense. And, and I never recall a time in my entire life where I like watching my team play defense like I do with this Georgia team. Don't get me wrong. The offense is amazing. I love watching Brock and Darnell and Stetson do their thing. But I like, dude, the inner warrior in me just salivates when Georgia's defense gets on the field and they get to go do their thing. You bring up the mental toughness piece, and I'm glad you did because I, I am interested to hear your perspective on something. I listened to an interview John Gordon did on his podcast with uh, – former Navy SEAL Chad Wright. Mm -hmm. And he asked Chad, you know, how did you get through hell week? How did you get through training? And Chad said, for me, it was about taking a big thing and breaking it down into very small things. So if you start hell week thinking, okay, I'm going to make it to the end of hell week. He's like, you're probably going to ring the bell because it's such a big task and you have to get through so many things. It's going to seem impossible to hit that mountaintop. He said, so instead I would start saying, I'm going to make it to breakfast. Mm -hmm. And then after breakfast, I'm going to make it till 10 o'clock. And then after 10 o'clock, I'm going to make it till lunch. And by kind of making it bite-sized like that, each goal felt more attainable. And I thought that was interesting in the concept of Georgia football, because if you flip that, the national championship, winning that is like, getting through seal training right it's the ultimate goal it's the ultimate prize but man it's a long road to get there and so much work and so much preparation and i think what can happen especially with 18 to 22 year old kids is to go well we're going to look forward to week 10 and we're in week three and then you lose in week five because you've gone too far ahead of the goal right and i think what kirby has done such a great job and his staff and the culture they've built is It's what is in front of us today, not what could be in front of us tomorrow. And I think that's something actionable that we can all use, right? But I think it's been an impressive shift in culture at the University of Georgia, which to your point, I don't know that that's ever been there before. I mean, are you seeing those parallels or am I kind of making that up up out of thin air? A hundred percent, I see it. Before I kick that off, you know, Chad writes from Georgia. He's from Rome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I met him when I was a new guy, and um, not everyone in the SEAL teams has a Southern accent, you know. So we're yeah, actually, and his is real Southern. Oh man, yeah, his is big. So we were, uh, he was at the training detachment or like the training team when I was a new guy, and I heard him speak. I'm like, "Hey, man, where you from?" He's like, "Oh man, I'm from Georgia. Where are you from?" I'm like, "Thomasville." Like, I'm from Rome. This is where people are from. I'm like, cool, <laughs> but like. <laughs> like would see him here and there and stuff but yeah he's doing really cool stuff but just like chad saying man bite-sized bites dude if you have to eat an elephant just one bite at a time and you might even want to start with the butt because that's gonna be the worst part to get better yeah. from it. but it seems like just like you're saying a trap game just isn't a thing for georgia right now um and i get it mizzou and kent state were kind of awkward and weird but hey a win's a win right and like we'll always take a win over a loss 
And it seems like Coach Smart has done a phenomenal job with getting everyone to remember what's in front of us, not what could be in front of us. And from where I, I step in as a, a as a mental performance coach, figuring out how to constantly be present in your moment, right? So when we when we're playing Georgia Tech, it doesn't really do us a whole ton of good to worry about how we're going to stop Jamie Daniels and his in his crazy run game or things like that. So this team, more than any other, whether it's been any other Georgia team in the past or any current program, seems to be very much dialed in on the Saturday that they're supposed to be dialed in on. But that also doesn't just happen on Saturday. That doesn't even happen the the Monday of the week. That that happened months ago. That happened when the last season ended, you know. I mean, I'm sure they had a really good time right after the national championship and celebrated and things like that. But I'm willing to bet a good amount of money. Kirby was back on the recruiting trail, uh, on the recruiting trail, working on the offseason program, figuring out where they were weak, figuring out where they were strong and how they were going to attack moving forward and constantly being present on that and understanding while they are trying to win a national championship, I'm not trying to win a national championship. I'm trying to win this game. And my goal is to go one to no every single week. And if I do all those little things right, the score will take care of itself. Yeah, I thought it was interesting this offseason. I noticed in some of the promo videos they were releasing out that, like, in the workouts, whether it be stadium stairs. I think stadium stairs is the first time I saw it. But then again, the, the workouts in the uh, strength facility, the each guy's kind of workout shirt just was a plain black shirt white lettering, red outlines, all it said on the front is nobody cares, right? So nobody cares, work harder. And I thought that was a tone setter and I think a mindset shift because I'm sure what they were feeling in the coach's office and the building is, look, we're coming off first national title in 41 years and everybody's heads might get blown up and all these things where you may not work as hard as we did last year because we've reached one of the mountaintops that we hope to reach. And I think that was kind of a tone setter like, hey, look, Last year's over with. Nobody cares. We got to go do this now. We got to go climb another mountain. So work harder. And boy, they have really seemed to buy into that and to adopt that. And I think you bring up a valid point, too, about them caring as much about their brother's success as their success. Mm -hmm. Because I've noticed a theme in all the interviews with the players. It's always deference to somebody else. You know, uh, Kenny McIntosh got interviewed after the SC championship game, and all he could talk about was the only reason I'm here is because of my offensive lineman. Stetson gets Heisman finalist last night, and in his statement, he talks about this is an award for my teammates and our team and our program. And, like, I just think that's a cultural thing, right? Like, that doesn't happen just out of nowhere. This is something that's being taught and being instilled And Kirby always talks about connection. And I know it's something we can't quantify. I'm sure on y'all's teams, it's something you can't quantify. But it's real. It's tangible. You can feel that. And I think that has been the special thing about watching this progression over the seven years that Kirby has been there, is watching these teams change from kind of disjointed units to a singular unit. And we had talked about this last year after going to the Clemson game at the opener in Charlotte. We noticed that normally you have a part of the sideline that's the offensive side, part of the sideline is the defensive side, and the units kind of segment. And, like, they still do that after the series to talk and whatnot. But we noticed the entire team was intermingled on the sideline, Mm -hmm. different position groups together. And then we found out that they had broken them down 
into breakout groups, essentially pairing guys from different position groups based on personality type. So they put the, they put the guys in groupings based on personality types and wanted them to hang out and say, you know, what's your, why, what drives you? Why are you here? And I don't know, man, the culture is just outstanding. And I think they are building something, not just talent wise. And everybody talks about Kirby recruiting, but the development piece of man, it's, it is elite to take his terminology. No, I mean, like, I'm, like you said, dude, I'm an Navy SEAL. I know it when I see it. They are doing elite things there. And, and to back up a little of everything you just covered, um, a buddy of mine, his, his name is John Deloney. He has two doctorates, super big brain. One is in mental health. And he's, he was telling me about my community, you know, which was really cool. And he said, hey, man, did you know that they've done studies, research on special operators like yourself, and they put all these like tools on them to measure what their heart and brain waves are doing. And when they've taken groups that have been together for a long time and are tight, they actually rhythmically get on the same type of heartbeat. And so while that doesn't mean everyone's heart is consistently at 68 beats per minute across the board, there's like these metronomes and milliseconds within the variation of the heart where everyone is truly having the same heartbeat. And then they, there becomes this almost like a neuro link where you don't have to communicate to communicate. And I've, I've seen it play out real world. So there's been plenty of times where I've been on target and I'm getting ready to make entryway into a door at night on night vision or something else like that. And I, I need someone else right now. Like, yeah, I can't do this by myself. But I look up and the dude's there. I, like, I didn't call for him. I didn't come over the radio. I just feel a squeeze on my leg. And that's my bro saying, you've got me. Let's do this. And I feel like you see that on the field. I would imagine if we could put those same devices on the players, you're going to find a lot of the same um, measurements in terms of what the heart's doing, what the mind's doing, and this almost like hive, like beehive, like hive mind. They are one collective unit. And just like you said, they're a team. They are they are one singular team. They are not an offensive group, defensive group, and then groups within this like a subgroup of a main group. They are they are Georgia football. And you see it really play out just like you were talking about on the sidelines and even their body language with how they all just do stuff together. And they do such a great job of not taking credit. They love to deflect and redirect and things like that. And I think if you were to take the average Georgia fan, and this isn't a knock on Georgia by any means, but if you were to just go to some random place in Macon and say, hey, name 11 defensive players, they couldn't do it. They probably could only tell you Jalen and maybe Keeley, big names. But other than that, everyone else is kind of like a shadowy figure because not there's not a single dude on the field trying to rack up stats, trying to up their draft, solely up their draft stock and do things like that. And they've fully bought in that the team concept will take us farther than we could ever go by ourselves. Therefore, I'm going to constantly put myself second, third, or fourth. And the team and what my brothers need will always come before that. And it's going to result in a lot of victories and hopefully a handful of national championships. Yeah. Have you ever read uh, Trevor Moad's book? It takes what it takes. Trevor Moad passed recently, but he was the performance coach, kind of one-on-one performance coach for Russell Wilson for a number of years. But prior to that, he had worked at IMG and then transitioned into mindset coaching with elite sports teams. And he ended up kind of being embedded with Alabama 
And so Kirby was exposed to him at Alabama. And when he came to Georgia, he brought Trevor into Georgia and Trevor did mindset coaching with the team. And then with the leadership groups that they had, they would do leadership retreats in Florida at the beach, I think a couple weeks in the summer. Um, but so check his book out because he tells stories about that. And it takes what it takes about working with the different teams. And it, it was it made a lot more sense about the shift because it was one of those things where you kind of felt like something was different, but you couldn't really pinpoint it. And then I read the book and it was like, Oh, it's starting to make sense now. Like this is something that has been very intentional and very thought out. And Hey, look, it, it's even, it's one of Trevor Moet's big things. Don't, <laughs> he says, don't say dumb shit out loud. So like, I can thank it if it's negative, but I can't say it out loud. And he talks about metrics where if we say it out loud, it becomes 10 times more likely to happen. And he tells stories about like, for example, Bill Buckner gave an interview a week before the world series. And they said, what would be the most positive and most negative outcome in the world series? And he said, well, the most positive would be I have the game winning hit or game winning home run to win the world series. The most negative would be I let a ball go through my legs and we lose the world series. Well, what happened a week later? And so he tells stories like that about the power of essentially manifesting something out loud and that we have so much more control over dictating our actions than we give ourselves credit for. And I know all that may sound like (laughs) crazy stuff or like kind of out there, but I think there's some reality to that. And I think we're seeing that in Athens with what Kirby has created there, the way the guys talk, there just seems to be a lot of positivity and a lot of, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to stay focused on the future. We're going to live in the present, all these things. And, and it's, it, it's something going on there that I think the college football world in general, this is not going to just go away. You know, no. they're not – they're building something for the long haul here. Uh, and it, it's is, a behemoth. We're not – in an, we are – last year and this year are not outlier years. Um, they, they have a very deep and wide and strong base. And now they're building a skyscraper on top of it. And when you look at the fact that the dogs lost 15 draft picks, every dude eligible for the draft was drafted uh, over 10 guys in the portal. And then they come back and basically have the almost exact same level of defense as they did last year. And the offense is better. That, that doesn't happen by accident. And just like you said, these things seem very intentional and it seems intentional because it is intentional. You know, you're, you can't accidentally win a national championship. You can't accidentally have a great culture. You can't accidentally become a Navy SEAL. All this stuff has to happen on purpose. And it seems like Kirby's doing a great job of just getting his hands on the wheel and guiding the ship to where it needs to go. Um, to speak internally to of more of the culture, have you ever read Legacy about the All Blacks of New Zealand? Oh, no. But, you know, I have heard of that. and I've heard multiple people talk about how good that is. Dude, literally, probably my single favorite book in the world. When I read that, it changed everything for me. I I came across it when I was a new guy at SEAL Team 4, meaning I hadn't deployed yet, and a buddy of mine at SEAL Team 6, which is like our premier team, gave it to me because he knew I was going to try out for the team. And it was almost like, here's the answers to the test. Read this book and everything will go. And uh, I mean, it's a lot of exactly what you're saying. And like the first chapter is called Sweep the Sheds. So literally after every game they have, even if it's a World Cup or World Championship, the first thing that happens after the game, the athletes clean up the locker room, their own locker room, you know. And so to bring that parallel, 
I had a boss when I was at SEAL Team 4 who used to be at SEAL Team 6, did some crazy things over there. I mean, he's a living, he is a living hero. Really cool to be around people like that. But one of the things we do with the team, like at our actual building, is it our job to take care of it. Right now, if plumbing breaks, we're not fixing that. But we take care of the building itself. So one day, it was a Friday, in my platoon, our job was always to cut the grass, pull weeds in the rock garden, and some other things like that. And me being this young, fired-up individual, maybe a little too entitled, was doing it reluctantly. And the the master chief, my boss, comes out there, and, and he starts doing it with us. And he's been in the teams for over 20 years. And me trying to be cool, I'm like, you know, master chief, uh, I think there's other things we could be doing instead of, like, pulling weeds right now. Like, we could be at the shooting range or working on skills. He goes, yeah, you could always be working on that. But if you weren't doing – if you weren't pulling weeds right now, would you really be at the range or would you be knocking off early because it's Friday? And then he said, when I was at Team 6, when we were on alert, meaning at any moment the phone could ring and we were essentially answering a 911 call somewhere in the world, whoever was on alert, our job was to clean the bathrooms every single day. And I thought, okay, well, I feel like an idiot, right? And then he went further down the rabbit hole. He said, look, John, I get it. No one wants to be out here pulling weeds. But you know what's going to happen when someone drives by SEAL Team 4 and they see weeds growing, the grass is high, and and other non-aesthetically pleasing things going on? I said, no, what's going to happen? He said, no one's going to assume you need to go get contractors to handle that. They're going to assume you don't care about your product. So if you can find a way to care about your product at this level, if you can be trusted to care with this, you're going to set yourself up to be trusted with more, man. Like how you do anything is how you do everything. And that really seems to be something Coach Smart's done over there. And just week in, week out, man, they show up. And I don't even know if we can call it showing up anymore because they never seem to leave, right? Like they're just, they're just there at all times. Yeah, I love that they kind of talk about, you know, Kirby always says the standard is the standard. And I think there's something to that because if you are, I think there's too much variability and too much emotion in playing through an opponent, right? Because that's always going to change. And, and there's so much variability that we can't control, whether that be as individuals in our own lives or whether that be in a team sport like football. You got to control the controllables. Mm-hmm. And I think what they've established is look, these are the things that we have dominion over. And we're going to be excellent at those things. And if we're excellent at those things, we'll be excellent at the big things when it comes time to do those. And I, you know, obviously Coach Saban has called it the process. And I just think there's so much validity to that outside of football, right? And I mean, you can speak to this too. You do the small things right every day at training. And then when you get out real world in operation, the big things will happen because you've prepared properly. Yep. And that applies to anybody, whether you're a school teacher or whether you're a doctor or whatever it may be, right? Like we all have the things that we have control and dominion over. And I think if you can eliminate external influence on those things, boy, you're putting yourself so far ahead of the path of most people. And I think to, to bring that out in 18 to 22 year old kids is an even more impressive step because who wants to do what they're told when you're that age, right? We knew it all then, didn't we? So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just the um, fully agree with you wholeheartedly, man. In fact, um, I work with the Greek Navy SEALs, like on a deployment, I work with them, and we always exchange gifts and stuff like that. But they gave us, or this wasn't a gift, I remember seeing it in their team room. Um, above the doorway as you leave is this big, gorgeous olive tree, like it's a plank that's been cut out of it. 
and then there's it's carved in Greek, and I, I can't remember how to say it or pronounce it, but essentially what it says is out this door, nothing. And so what's, what does this mean? And he said, it means when you're here, nothing else in the world matters. You leave everything else outside. When you're here, every, this is your life and your world, and we will hold everything to the highest standard that we come across. And so that's how they just constantly seem to be living and operating, understanding I will control my controllables. And in fact, I'm going to control the crap out of it, you know? And if you look at just little things, man, how often do you see a cornerback make a one-on-one tackle outside of Athens, right? Like that's just business per use. Keely Rago, best cornerback in the nation, will also bring down a ball carrier. But they're not, they're doing those little things right of wrap-up tackling, not dropping balls and all those other types of things because they're letting the small steps give you the big steps. And it's just, it's just a thing that Kirby seems to have really mastered. And just like you said, the fact that he's done it with 18 to 22 year olds who don't even have fully developed brains yet is really, really remarkable. Well, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your coaching business and what you're doing now, because I think because of your experiences, you have a unique skill set and a wealth of knowledge that could be beneficial to other people. So tell our listeners how you could help them or maybe somebody they know uh, in their lives. Yeah. So, well, first, with any sort of coaching, thing, what you have to understand is if you're not coachable, you're not helpable. And that's something I'll screen for if someone has an interest in doing this is making sure they're truly on board to get uncomfortable, to grow and do these things that's going to be asked of you to truly hit that next peak in your life. So to keep this all relevant here with a football podcast with Austin, he's in his fourth year in the league, just like I alluded to, two national champions, four-star kid coming out of high school. Probably not anything I can teach him about football. You know, he's probably forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But what I help people do and what I've helped him do is I allow and help you and coach you to grow into the best version of yourself. So what's that mean for him? That now means we are identifying, finding and walking towards that best version every single day. And now that best version of you is the guy who goes to practice, is the guy who goes to workouts, is the guy who goes to camps. So this past offseason, to really get deep here, he decided he wanted to make the transition from being an incredible athletic pass rusher who's just a phenomenal athlete to becoming a technical master coming off the edge. That means getting really in tune with his footwork, with his hands, with his eyes, with everything. That's clearly out of my technical wheelhouse as far as football goes. But I've done the exact same thing with shooting a pistol and a rifle. I, I became really, really like I became one of the better shooters inside of the team through deliberate practice and effort. And so what we would work on all offseason long is as he lived in Florida at his training camp. One of the things I'm just going to lay it out for you, man. Here's the secret sauce. Before every training session, when he would come in, when he'd get to the training facility, before he even sees anyone or goes inside, I, would, I taught him how to performance journal. So everyone knows about journaling, right? You write down your thoughts and feelings. With this, we are doing a deliberate and intentional effort to journal for performance. So what I would have him do is write today's date, the location, and what he hopes to do. Like, what are we doing today in training and writing it down? What do I think I'm going to do good? What might be some trouble spots? And what, what is the overall intent and expectation? And we might even deep dive that of creating the mantra for today, right? So it takes what it takes. Keep the main thing, the main thing, something like that. Um, he would do the training session, which, I mean, he's there all day long. He's lifting, he's working, working out, doing pass rusher stuff. So he goes through his training day, but now he's carried this mindfulness and intentionality into the practice. So he always consciously knows what he's there to do and what he's after. 
And then he gets through the training day. He gets back in his car. And before he leaves, he gets back in the journal and he reflects on that training session. So he writes what actually happened. What did I do well? What did I, what did I do bad? What do I need to do to replicate the success? And what do I need to change to keep those bad reps from happening? And this might sound simple, and it is, but what it's doing is bringing a whole new level of mindfulness and awareness to anything and everything you're trying to do. So in turn, and I'm not taking credit for this at all, he did all the work. He had the best offseason of his career. He went and had the best camp of his career, and then quantifiably had the best offseason of his career. And then a few weeks ago, he set a career record for tackles in a game. And he didn't get there by accident. So I, I get it's cool to talk about NFL athletes, but if someone's listening and they're like, John, I'm not a pro athlete, what about me? Okay, we can take the exact same model and apply it to where you're at. So some people I work with, especially men, have been really successful. They've had a ton of success in business. They've made a lot of money. However, where there's greatness somewhere, you have there's probably going to be a dip somewhere else. So as we dig deep and unpack things, we realize they they didn't put in time with the family. They didn't put in the time with their wife. They missed out on a lot. And so now they feel like they're playing catch up. And now instead of making a ton of money as their new life goal, they want to be the best husband or father they can be. They want to re-pour into that and be a true significant impact on their family. So from the tactical standpoint, one of the things I'll have them do is, hey, man, on your commute home, you're driving home. And as you pull into the driveway, if you've got both your hands on the steering wheel, I just want you to tap 10 and 2 or yeah, 10 and two with your index fingers. And that is your cue and mindfulness reminder works over. It's time for me to take off that hat and put on my father hat. And so you pull into the driveway, you put the car in park. And I also teach all my clients how to meditate, which is a lot of fun. But um, I'll say when you're sitting there, deep breath in, deep breath out, and just relax into your seat, feel your weight, feel your weight, just dropping into the seat, drop your shoulders and like physiologically relax your body. And now we're going to start some self-talk. And you ask yourself, if I were the best father on the face of the planet, how would I get out of my car and how would I walk through my doorway right now? How would I greet my kids? How would I engage with them for the rest of the evening? And we're also working on mindset shift. So let's say you've come home from work and it's been a crappy day and you got a headache. What's your mindset going to be? Is it, oh, dude, I've had a crappy day. I got a headache and now I've got got to go deal with my seven and eight-year-old who's screaming their faces off and they're going to make it worse? Or am I going to speak like a victor instead of a victim? Am I going to be proactive and have gratitude for my life and say, you know what? It's been a crappy day, but that's okay because that, that day, that part of the day is over. I get to be around gifts that God gave me. I get to go give love. I get to receive love. And no matter what's happened today, I'm not going to let that impact how I think and feel for the rest of the evening while I get to be with my wife and kids. And you take that same thing and apply it to being a husband. How would I greet my wife if I were the best husband on the face of the planet? You know, and even with the engagement stuff, when you start thinking like that, you become so well, so much more aware of all the little thoughts and actions you're having that you may not have thought of. So am I on my phone texting while I'm talking to my kids, but never giving them my full attention? Or am I putting it away and being 100% present and living in this moment that I'm given, much like we kind of just talked about with Kirby and the team of being well aware of where you're at and present in this moment and having an idea of where you're trying to go. So when we start bringing mindfulness and awareness into your life, it just wakes up all these pieces of the brain you didn't realize you have. 
you become more aware of your thoughts you didn't realize you were having. You're deliberately putting yourself in a better mood. One of the cool things about gratitude, man, is you physiologically set your body up to be healthier. And you also rewire the brain when you are deliberately practicing gratitude, where the brain now looks for opportunities instead of problems. It could, it could perceive, it could see the exact same thing. But since you're perceiving through gratitude, it views it as an opportunity instead of a problem. So thinking about how you can just how you can constantly set yourself up for success, well, start with some gratitude and intentionality and just keep going from there and see where it goes. So again. Back to Coach Smart and the team, having that vision of where they're trying to go, that can directly apply to your life of having a vision and where you're trying to go. Unfortunately, most people aren't honest with themselves of where they're truly at, and therefore they can't ever get where they're trying to go because you can't get there without your starting point, you know? Yeah, I love that. One of my, I listen to Ed Milet every now and again, and one of the things he said recently in one of his podcasts talking about parenting his kids is most things our kids absorb are caught, not taught. And I think we get, man, that's heavy, right? Like that that hit me like a ton of bricks. I I think we focus on what we can tell our kids and quote unquote teach our kids, but we sometimes lose sight of, and it's not just kids, right? It's your coworkers, it's your friends, it's your, it's your spouse, whoever it may be. Your actions are doing so much more than whatever's coming out of your mouth. You're showing people each day with your actions, where you're at and what you're bringing. And man, I just love that mindfulness piece about, kind of setting the intention to be present where you are. And another guy like is Jesse Itzler. He always talks about be where your feet are, like be present. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be somewhere else when this is where I am right now. And uh, man, I just think there's so much value in that, so much value in what you're teaching and what you're providing. So, man, I love that. Um, well, look, we always, when we have our guests on during the season, we always talk about games of the week. Now, obviously the regular season and the conference championships are over, but, it is the week of my favorite non-Georgia football game of the year, and that's the Army-Navy game. 123rd meeting this week in Philadelphia, um, which is where they have met the most times. And I'm going to throw some fun facts at you here. They've played the game one time west of the Mississippi. Do you know where it was played? Ooh, I, I don't know why I want to say somewhere like Dallas, but I don't know. So uh, that's not a bad guess, but the only place it's ever been played of west of the Mississippi is the Rose Bowl. 1983, they played it at the Rose Bowl. Oh, Texas or California? I just thought California too far away. Well, I feel like given all the military uh, installations in Texas, that's a great guess. And that's part of the reason that they had it in California. The Rose Bowl approached Uh, the folks that are behind the Army-Navy game and said, look, we would like to host it in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And part of what they did was they paid the way for all of the students for both academies to come to Pasadena to attend the game. And uh, I think a good portion of the supporters, I think it ended up being something like 9,800 people or something like that. Rose Bowl footed footed the ticket, footed the bill. And then the reason they had it there was there are so many military installations on the West Coast that they thought it'd be a great centralized spot for servicemen and women to come support the branches, um, which I thought was I thought that was cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. being a, you're on one of those teams and getting oh, man. Football, right? That's a- awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Like so incredible. And um, yeah, so 
123rd meeting this year. Navy is a, it's essentially a pick 'em. Navy's a half point favorite. Navy and Army both kind of had up and down years. Um, but Navy won 17 13 last year. Army has won four of six in the series, but that is after Navy winning 14 in a row from, I believe, 02 to 16. So a lot of Navy dominance um, over the last two decades. And I think one of the cooler things they do now is the uniform series, where each year, each academy has specific uniforms to honor a certain segment of their history. And I am a little biased this year because the uh, Army uniforms are uh, representing the 1st Armored Division and the Iron Soldiers. And uh, my granddad drove tanks in the 1st Armored in World War II. So... Yeah, I'm pretty fired up about the unis, man. I saw them come out, like sent them to all my siblings, my pops yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, so I think that's cool. And I think that Navy's uniforms this year are, I think they're NASA focused, I think is their theme this year. Um, if I remember seeing right, I, I, I can't remember those specifically, but I love that. I love that they do that. I think it's one of the cooler um, tenors of the games. And it's just such a cool game, right? Like one of only three games uh, in college football that's played at a neutral site annually. And um, I don't know. I just love all of it. I love that game day goes and covers it now. So have you ever gotten to go to one? No, I've never been to one. Um, and like I was normally for a long stint every other year, I would be out of town during football season. But now that yeah. it's behind me, I'm hoping to get to one one day. But yeah, it's it's such a cool thing, right? Like I don't even think you have to be in the military or not in the military to appreciate it. It's just a cool thing where you see these two academies come together where every person on the field has made a decision that they're okay with dying for freedom. Right. And so it really helps us step back and remember football's football. While I I love it, it's not the end all be all. And they do have just really cool traditions and stuff that go along with it. Singing the anthems of both teams, like yeah. losers is first, winners is next, and where it's been played. And it's moving to Fenway next year, I believe. Did you know that? Yeah, I, I knew it was they've, – they've integrated new stuff because traditionally it's always been Philly, New York, and then they, they integrated Baltimore, I think, in the last couple decades. But, yeah, I saw that they are going to have sites in Boston, which I think is awesome. I don't know how they'll about playing outside in the wintertime in Boston, but you – know, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, dude, I think that's one of the neater things is it almost doesn't feel like Army-Navy if there's not some flurries wherever they end up playing, right? Um, So I do love that. And uh, it's one of the things on my list. It's on my sports bucket list to go to an Army-Navy game. And um, I've talked to my dad about trying to figure it out and go because I've just always been romantic about the academies. When I was growing up, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy because I grew up in Virginia. And so – yeah, so I was like tiny town, Tappahannock, right outside of Richmond. Okay. And so like just why I got all excited. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went to college in Williamsburg. I went to William and Mary. So yeah, so really close. And um we, you know, my dad used to take me to Annapolis and used to go to Navy baseball camp there and stuff. So I just always thought it was awesome. And then we played in a Legion regional tournament in West Point. And oh. Man, I'm going to tell you something. You talk about one of, in my opinion, the more magnificent campuses in all of America. Like West Point is something else. I mean, it is just beautiful. And I mean, Annapolis is too, you know, like where it sits. It's just, it got so cool. So I, I want to go to the Air Force Academy to kind of round it out and see all three. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, it's a special thing. And I, I think it's, it's so neat to have it this Saturday, second week in December every year, and then it kind of leads into the Heisman. It's just a, a beautiful celebration of 
in my opinion, some of the things that are most great about an awesome country. So yeah, I, I'm fired up for it, man. I love it. But who, who do you think? I mean, I think I know where your, where your loyalties lie here. Yeah. So I think I know where the pick's going to go. <laughs> well, um, you said it, man, it's a pick them. Uh, both teams are kind of down this year. Army's sitting at five games. Is it too late for them to get a bowl bid if they win or are the bowl games decided? Uh, that's, you know, that's a great question. Cause yeah, I think this would, this would get them the six wins so they could go. I don't know that all the bowls have been announced. That's a great question. I don't know that, but that would be a lot more to play for. Yeah. And then some schools like Vanderbilt, like their academic standards are so high, they only have to win five games. So army could be sitting there already. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe only sitting at four victories. A little weird. Cause as you said, like they went on the 14 year streak of winning it. I remember growing up and even maybe in the Navy or just before the Navy, it wasn't rare to see Navy sneak into the top 25 and then win a bowl game because no one can defend the option type thing. But um, one, I'm going to give you bias and I'm going to give you prisoner of the moment. I'm going to pick Navy because obvious reasons I've come from there. And then two, I just in my mind, when I think Army Navy, I've been conditioned to go, yep, Navy wins that game. And I remember when they, when Army won in 2015 for the first time in 14 years, that was like, strange and it was like they barely won and stuff like that but i think navy figures it out it's also really cool that the two teams both run the triple option typically you see a game only one team will be running it and that's the only time they see it all year but now we got two teams who know it very well going against each other and i'm thinking low scoring maybe 17 14 navy yeah i like that i'm i'm gonna go with army because like i said i have family connection with uh my granddad serving and my brother was also in the army um also they got coach monken too right so the cousins are yeah yeah, the the cousins are in play there so i like that too i will say both teams have had interesting years because navy starts off the year tough they lose to delaware but then they beat ucf to end their regular season ucf's had a great year they gave notre dame all they wanted in annapolis (laughs) And, you know, they've, they've played well. And then Army is – I was looking at their schedule. You know, they are a couple things happening from having nine wins. I mean, they've had some really close losses. And I think that's kind of what happens with those offenses, right? There's not a ton of margin for error. Uh, so you're always kind of splitting hairs there. But I, I'm with you. I think it's a low-scoring game. I think it's going to be cold. You know, I could see, yeah, 17-14, 20-17, something like that. I think the fun thing about this game every year, to your point about them having the same offense, is normally there's no passing, right? But in this game, I feel like there's always some gadget that each side brings out, and you end up seeing kind of some big plays. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. I, I, I think CBS does a nice job with the presentation of the game and oh, yeah. giving it giving it its due and, and giving it its flowers that it that it so rightly deserves. So it's one of my favorite things to watch, one of my favorite events to watch. So um, this this weekend actually I'm gonna be in New York. So I don't know how much of it I'm gonna yeah. watch. Yeah. So um I'm hoping you're there for the Heisman. That's why you're going, right? Yeah. Well so it's it's a crazy story. My son turned 10 this fall. And when I was 10, my parents, like I said, I grew up in small town Virginia. They loaded us up in the car and took me to Cooperstown for my 10th birthday and I grew up playing baseball my whole life so it was like the coolest thing ever right especially for a kid from a small town so my wife and I made the decision that we wanted to do like trips with our kids when they turned 10 so 
My son turned 10 in September and he is enamored with Christmas. So we figured what better place for him to experience Christmas than New York City in December. So we planned the trip months ago and then it just so happens to be Stetson's named as a Heisman finalist on Monday night. And I actually did get credentialed for the event, which shocked me to death. <laughs> um, so I'm really hoping to get to be a part of a couple of at least the media press conferences. The media credential media does not get to go to the ceremony. That's not part of the credentialing. Um, the, the ceremony now is at Lincoln Center. I think formerly it was actually held out at the downtown athletic club, but I think because of TV and it's gotten so big, it's at Lincoln Center. So I'm hoping to be able to cover uh, some of the press conference on Friday, and then they do a finalist press conference on Saturday before the ceremony. And this is another kind of happenstance thing. The way it worked out, we booked a hotel two and a half months ago. The media hotel where all the press conferences are happening is one block from the hotel that we're in. So that's a tenth of a mile. That's how big the blocks are in New York City. Yeah. So it's all kind of worked out perfect. So I'm excited, man. My my son's excited. He's never been on an airplane before. So oh dude. I had this a few months ago. We flew back to Georgia. My I have a three and a four-year-old. They've never been on planes, but they love them. So it was cool till it wasn't. And then my three-year-old was over it and said, I don't want to be on the plane anymore. Like, well, buddy, you can't get off. So Yeah, I love that, man. Well, well, look, John, we so appreciate you coming on and appreciate the conversation and you have an invitation to come back whenever you want. But before you go, tell our listeners how they can support you and if they're interested in doing coaching, how they can get in contact with you for that. Oh, yeah. Well, best place that I hang out on the most is Instagram, High Ground Life. Just one word is my handle. You get in there. One, I, I I love getting DMs from people. I love to hear about it. You can do that. I have my link in bio where you can schedule a call. I'm also on LinkedIn under John Richards. And those are the, the two best ways to get a hold of me. And if anyone has any questions, by all means, please reach out. I'm I am a teacher and a coach at heart before I'm anything. And I, I love helping people get wherever they're trying to go. Well, look, if y'all have listened to this conversation with John over the last almost hour and you're not interested in chatting with him and fellowshipping with him, then I don't know what's wrong with you because it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's been fantastic and he loves the dogs, which is just another feather in the cap. So, uh, John, thank you so much for the time, brother. And as we always end here, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.